Hi there, Caitlin here. Our mission at EB Academics is simple. Help middle school ELA teachers take back their time outside of the classroom by providing them with engaging lessons, planning frameworks, and genuine support so that you can become the best version of yourself, both inside and outside of the classroom. So if you think you might be ready to try something new because you know you simply cannot continue the way that you have been, that I'd invite you to take a moment to check out the EB Teachers Club, the EB Writing Program, or the EB Grammar Program by visiting the links in the description of the podcast. We hope to continue to support you within one of our programs in the future. And in the meantime, we look forward to serving you right here on the podcast each week. All right, teachers, welcome to June on the podcast. We have so much goodness coming your way this month. We, what, have eight podcast episodes happening we in the next do. couple of weeks? So fun. (laughs) Um, And we're really excited because, you know, this is the time of year where we're doing our special June professional development. It's focused on engagement and rigor for your students. Um, The intro to the podcast just shared that information with you. But I also want to just remind you to sign up and grab your free seat if you haven't already. If you go to ebacademics.com forward slash engagement, um, it will be a great way to really have everything that we're talking about on the podcast come together. You're going to be with Jessica and me in Zoom. You can ask us questions. You'll have a whole community. It's just going to be an incredible experience. So again, we'd love to invite you to come to that. That's ebacademics.com forward slash engagement. So today we're going to dive into uh, a great podcast topic where we're going to do basically um, teach everything you need to in less time without sacrificing your sanity. Like, how do you do that? How do you teach everything that you need to, right? I feel like that's a constant complaint from teachers, don't you? Absolutely. We hear it all the time. All the time. I don't have time to cover everything, right? There are so many standards. How do I do it? Um, And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. So maybe you can relate to what I'm going to say. And this sounds like you, like, definitely let us know if we're hitting the mark. Let us know over on Instagram at EB Academics. Um, But perhaps you're someone who maybe you have a 52 minute class period and you've got to fit in grammar, vocabulary, reading, writing. You also have maybe independent reading time that your principal wants you to include. That's wild. That's a lot to include in 52 minutes, right? Or maybe you have six students in your class that are ready for, let's say, higher level multi-paragraph essays. Okay. But then you have 14 students who are at grade level, and then you have nine students who are struggling to get basic sentences together. You all know what I'm talking about, right? It's all over the board with our students. And it's very hard to meet all of their needs every single day before the bell rings. So it's not just about like fitting in all of the subjects that we've got to do. It's about meeting all of our students in the various places that they are in our classroom. And then on top of that, it's all the interruptions. Like Caitlin, do you remember at our school that we taught it together? Every Friday was shortened class periods because we had assemblies, we had these things. So that was already like, okay, that day has to be different. And then at least for me, it was like once a week, I had three students who were pulled out of class because they needed extra support. And then there'd be the spring musical, the holiday party, field day, field trips, like all these different things that are just constantly like cutting away at your class time. And they're fun things, but it it does cause you to adjust. So it leaves you wondering, like, how am I going to fit in that third novel that I want to do? 
right? Or at my last school that I was at, the first year I was there, we had 48 minute class periods. And thank goodness this did end up changing because that was, you know, a struggle until I figured out how to make the best of it. But by the time students settle into that, you know, you get them organized, they pass in their homework, all of a sudden you're down to 40 minutes and you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm just going to rush through everything. And I'm going to just pray that they understood what we did because I don't have time tomorrow to review it because everyone else is moving on in my grade level, right? It's a struggle. Yeah. It's like some sort of crazy race against time, right? You got to finish that cross that finish line before the bell rings. It's just wild. Like that is stressful. Even you saying that I think probably made my heart rate go up just a little bit, right? (laughs) As you were talking about all of that, but it's not just the crunch time. That's frustrating. You also have all of the assessments to give. And then you got a grade right after you've done all of those lessons, then you get to upload the grades, respond to parent emails, meet with your grade level team, sit through faculty meetings. It's constantly this like whack-a-mole of life, almost trying to keep up with everything that you've got to do as a teacher. Right. And I mean, of course there are things that you can't avoid, right? You have to respond to parent emails. You can't just skip the faculty meeting. You have to respond to those parent emails. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Although we did. We do offer some tips on that elsewhere in EB of like maybe ways to make that more manageable, (laughs) but that's a different podcast. Um, And we get it. You can't skip the faculty meetings, right? But you can, you can take control of your class period where you do feel confident that you can teach everything you need to without sacrificing your sanity. So I just want you to imagine what that would feel like if you walked into class every day and you're like, I've got this. I know my lessons are aligned to the standards. I know my students are having fun. I have a plan. It doesn't matter that my class is 42 minutes or 90 minute blocks every other day. It truly doesn't matter because I know what I'm teaching and I'm confident I will get it done. And that sounds great, right? But you're probably sitting here like, yeah, okay. It sounds great. But how, how do I make that happen? And this is a great episode to listen to through the lens of changes that you want to make to your class structure next year so that you can start off the year on a strong note and then stick to it, right? This is airing in the beginning of June. Some of you might still be in school for the next month and maybe you can apply some of these, but we want to get some of your wheels turning for the next school year. And we talk about this a lot and I'm sure we will on the podcast in the coming weeks as well, but just utilizing this like first part of your summer to really set yourself up for the school year next year so you can just enjoy all of July, all of August, right? We want you to really unplug and relax and not be thinking about, oh my God, I still got stuff to do and think about before school starts. Um, So think about it through like that lens of, okay, next year, like, what do I want to include? What do I want to do? And then, like I said, stick to it, right? It's all about being intentional. And that's what we're going to get into today. We're excited to dive into four actionable tips that we have for you so that you can teach everything you need to in less time. Like Jessica said, without sacrificing your sanity, like that's really important to us. And maybe some of you are already doing these things and it's a good reminder, right? Sometimes we have to hear things, what, seven times before they actually stick and we actually do them, right? But we firmly believe in these strategies because both Jessica and I, we did all of them when we were in the classroom. Like this is how we rolled, right? And we want to teach you how to do the same thing. And we were both able to cover a ton of content with our students. We were still able to be those teachers that left when the bell rang. We still had enjoyable weekends with our families. Our students still had the highest test scores in the school every single year, right? And now we teach these four same strategies when we work with teachers inside of our EB Teachers Club. So it's just something that we do all the time. And we want you to be able to utilize these strategies as well. So just let's dive into strategy number one. 
Perfect. And this strategy is all about being intentional. There's that word again with the bell work that you give your students. So whether or not you give bell work right now, consider what is so beneficial about this. And I want you to ask yourself, are you using the first few minutes of your class wisely? Like, are your students coming into your classroom and then just immediately getting down to work or are they walking around and talking to friends? Do you need to remind them three times to settle in, get started, or do they know what the expectations of the assignment are? And then they get started independently. And if you're listening to this and you're like, the start of my class period is definitely leaning more toward that chaotic, loud, need to get their attention multiple times kind of class. Well, then maybe it is time to be more intentional with those first few minutes and introduce a bell routine. And I know like, depending on where you are in the country, some people call it bell work, do now, seat work, bell ringers. There's like all these names for this, but really it's just those first few minutes of class. It's the work you're giving to your students. And it's crucial. It's a great use of class time where your students get to review the standards. And I think this is really important to say, you want to be particular about the bell work that you give your students. You don't want to just give them any old bell work. And I know Caitlin and I had honestly bad experiences with this, right? Way back when, when we thought, okay, great, we're going to give bell work to our students to start off class, right? But unknowingly, it was kind of just busy work and it was like cutesy, right? It was mentor sentence Monday and students identified parts of speech or wacky Wednesday. And they, I don't know, came up with silly vocabulary words or like this one still gets me daily oral language. Like I hated it with my students. And honestly, like doing that same routine every single week with those themed bell ringers, it got old really fast. Like students were not into it. And when it came down to it, where in the middle school ELA standards are students actually required to come up with like silly vocabulary words? They're not. So I really had to ask myself, like, what was the point of those bell ringers that I was giving my students? So instead, when you're more intentional with what you get them, then you're able to tailor them to meet the standards so that your students are covering everything they need to all year. And you're spiraling those standards so that students are consistently reviewing concepts at the start of every single class. It just becomes this integral part of your routine. And when you really think about it, like repetition is key when it comes to mastering any standard, but in particular, the ELA standards, you can't just introduce something one time and be like, great, they've mastered it moving on. And that's why when you're intentional with the bell work, you choose to give your students every day. It's really this awesome opportunity to practice all the standards you need to cover for the rest of the year over and over again. And it's like this win-win it's situation for both you and your students, right? Your students are mastering the standards and you've got a great first few minutes of class. And I actually want to walk you through an example so you can see how being intentional with the bell work that you choose allows you to teach everything you need to in less time. So I think um, when we really like dig into the standards, there can be some that are a little bit tricky to fit in, right? One that comes to mind for me is the Greek and Latin root words standard. It's there, but you might be saying, okay, well, is it really a priority? Like, how do I fit in a unit on that when I still have a regular vocabulary book? I need to do that. I still have to do my novel units, my poetry units, my short story units, informational text. Like you get the idea, right? Well, what if those Greek and Latin root words were just automatically built into your bell ringers and then spiral reviewed throughout the year? So you're not doing like a two-week unit on it. Instead, it's just like a few minutes every few weeks or so where students are easily working on them and then they're strengthening or even mastering that standard. So I think that's so cool to think about. It's like, I just love the idea the idea of quality, intentional bell ringers in general, because it's making such valuable use of your class time, right? You're not 
wasting time telling your students, okay, open up to this page and, you know, wait, stop talking over there. No, they walk in. They know that every day they're starting off with a bell ringer. They know the expectations. They get straight down to business and you're able to cover more content in this clear streamlined way. And you're not wasting those first few 15 minutes or so of class. So that's tip number one. I know that's a lot of information, but if you really want to fit everything you need to into your class period, doesn't matter how it's, you know, 42 minutes or that 90 minutes. First thing is to get intentional with quality bell work. Yeah. And the whole time you're saying that I'm like nodding my head, like, yes, Mm -hmm. like want to give you snaps. That is such an important one. And it's such an easy way to make a change that supports you in so many different capacities. Right. Um, so that's an awesome one. So number two to fitting it all in, in your class is to use the standards as your guide when you're lesson planning. So I love this one. This one's really interesting. You know, sometimes we'll sit down and we'll think to ourselves, okay, I'm going to try this lesson that I saw on Pinterest or Instagram or TikTok nowadays because TikTok mm-hmm. is a thing, whatever, whatever, wherever we found it, because it looks cool. We're like, oh, that teacher that I follow did it. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you this question. What standard does that necessarily cover? Does it even meet any of the standards that your students actually need to be learning in your classroom? Like really think about that, right? And if the answer is, I don't know, then it's probably a no. And we're going to ask you, why the heck are you going to use it, right? Just because we saw other people doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it's best for our students, right? There was actually a study done by the Education Trust of middle schools in the U.S. And they concluded, this is wild, they concluded that only about 38% of the assignments given were aligned with grade level standards. 38%, that number is like jaw dropping to me. That is wild. 38%. So that means, what is that? 62% of the time we're doing something that's not on and aligned with grade level standards. Holy cow. Like that absolutely can be improved upon. There's a lot of room for improvement there, right? So when you sit down to lesson plan, and this is going to go into strategy number three that we're going to talk about in a second, but when you sit down to lesson plan and you use the standards as your guide, you're going to look at them and you're going to see, oh, I actually do have time to cover everything because I'm not going to do these other superfluous lessons that actually have nothing to do with what I'm supposed to be teaching to my students. Like if you sit down and you look at those standards, there really aren't a ton. Like it's not that overwhelming. And so I want you to think about whether your common core standards or the TEKS or the South Carolina learning standards in Jessica's case, or she lives now, whatever standards you're expected to follow right? And you are actually intentionally using those to guide you in your planning. It's going to make a world of a difference. You're going to realize that there may not be a lot of lessons that you were teaching that actually cover the standards that you can eliminate, right? Because you don't need to be doing those. So sometimes what happens is we're so used to just moving on to the next unit in our textbook or the next novel, right? That we may not realize that it's not necessary to teach it just because it's there. And I think about some of the texts that I used when I was teaching high school. I didn't even look at the standards when I was teaching high school in those first few years in the classroom. This was not something that I did. And I think it's why I really struggled because I had this scope and sequence that I was required to follow. I had to teach this. I had to teach that. I had, And I definitely felt this way, right? And so it's huge to take that pressure off of yourself when you realize, oh my God, I don't actually have to teach this. You know what I mean? And if you're an EB Teachers Club member and you're listening, we want you to remind you that you have access to those standards checklists that we've given to you. So you want to have that standards checklist with you front and center when you lesson plan. 
And actually, if you aren't an EB Teachers Club member, you can print out the standards that you need to cover. But also, if you come to our free workshop in June, we're going to give you our standards checklist for free. So again, that's ebacademics.com forward slash engagement. So you can, even if you just want to grab that, I mean, it's going to be way more worth your time than just grabbing the standards checklist. But if that's something that you're looking for, definitely sign up and come to that PD. So on those standards checklist guides that we made for our teachers, we actually added sections on them where you put in the date that you're covering the standard. You're putting in, you know, whether your students have mastered it or they need more practice with that. And then you can mark down when, hey, maybe I've got to revisit the standard. Or what's really interesting is you'll find, oh my gosh, I teach reading for informational text standard 7.2 a thousand times and I don't touch narrative writing. Oh, I've got to look at, you know, my scope and sequence and change some things and make it more aligned to the standards. So having the standards printed out and in front of you as you plan helps you be accountable to your planning, right? It really does become that standards as your guide, as your North Star. Love it. All right. Moving on to tip number three for fitting it all in. And honestly, like this just might be something that we are obsessed with at EB. And that's batch planning. You've probably heard us mention it before, but it really is the single most effective way to get your nights and weekends back, to be teaching the content you need to without being overwhelmed. So in case you haven't heard us mention batch planning, here's just a really quick overview. It's when you sit down for two days or so every quarter, every semester, once a year sometimes, and you plan out your content for the next few months. When you get really good at it, you can plan out your content for the entire year. So this means knowing exactly which standards you're covering on any given unit, what your into activity is going to be to hook your students, what your through activities are going to be to practice those standards, and then what your beyond activity is going to be to assess your students. So batch planning is being really intentional. Again, that word intentional with what you teach, and that allows you to cover all the content you need to and not be thinking, you know, Sunday night, oh, well, I don't really know what I'm going to teach this week. I'm just going to go on TPT or I'm going to go on Pinterest. I'm going to find something, right? That's all well and good, you know, occasionally, but then what happens, right? You spend hours searching for a lesson. You come up with a lesson that maybe doesn't really meet the standards or it doesn't allow your students to have that really rigorous, engaging experience. And then sometimes you go on TPT or Instagram or wherever, and you do find a lesson. You're like, okay, this is going to help me. I'm going to be a better teacher. It's going to make my life easier, right? But the problem is that's one lesson. It's a Band-Aid and it's a quick fix for that one lesson, but you're still going to find yourself struggling to cover everything the next week and the next week. But when you batch plan, you're being intentional with what units you're teaching and where they fall in your scope and sequence. So it ties right back to tip number two that Caitlin just went over and using the standards as your guide. Because when you batch plan, you have that standards checklist with you and you start to see, just like Caitlin said, like, oh my gosh, I've actually covered that particular standard, let's say reading for literature, way too much. And that's an easy one to do a lot, right? Finding text evidence in literature, we tend to do that one a lot. Hmm, maybe I should focus more on informational text instead. And when you start to batch plan and you're seeing months of your school year laid out in front of you, that's when you really start to notice things. Like, oh, wow, I I haven't touched narrative writing in three months. I need to go back to it. Because when you're planning just week to week, or in some cases, day to day, you might think, you know, like, okay, I know what's happening with my curriculum. I'm in control, but it's very different to actually see those units mapped out way in advance and what standards you're covering and when. So batch planning really does make a world of a difference. It's interesting too, as you were saying that. So I'm, I'm taking, so I'm not a super 
messy person and I don't totally hold on to everything, but I hold on to clothes. Like I have a hard time throwing clothes away because I spent money on them. I'm like, maybe I'll wear this, but I'm going through this course for decluttering just because I just want to get rid of massive amounts of things and just totally simplify my life. And this is making me think of when I did my closet, I put, took everything out of my closet and I laid everything out in front of me. And it was like, oh my gosh, I don't need 95% of this. And it's kind of the same thing of like looking at your plans a year at a glance, you're looking at everything in front of you. What do you actually need? Right. I love that. I don't know why that just like popped into my head. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's so good. But I gave, I gave away so much stuff and it just felt so good. Like I feel so much better and so much lighter. And imagine like with planning too, that's exactly how you feel. Oh, it's intentional. I know it's happening. I know it's coming down the pipeline, right? I know that I'm covering my standards. And I'm just thinking like going back to the clothes, you probably kept the things you love the most, like the best stuff, right? Yep. Same thing with planning. You're so dialed in. It's going to be your best material. Yeah. So I just love it. Love it. Great analogy. Love that. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we've arrived at tip number four for fitting it all in, and that is spiraling. So if you haven't heard of this concept before, it's something that we see all the time in math, right? If you have young kids, pay attention to their math homework, right? The homework is always a few questions on whatever topic they're currently learning. And then a few review questions to make sure that they're still practicing subtraction or multiplication or whatever they learned about recently. It keeps the concepts fresh, gives students consistent practice, right? We see it all the time in math. Well, what if we did the same thing in our ELA class? Like it's not really a part of the vernacular of of teaching ELA, but we really feel like it should be because think about it. What if you consistently practice narrative writing? Or what if you intentionally built in multiple compare and contrast or expository or descriptive or literary analysis lessons, right? What if you came back to those skills time and time again? And what we do as ELA teachers is most ELA teachers compartmentalize things, right? We do narrative writing here, literary analysis writing here, argumentative writing at the uh, end of the year, right? And then it's like, boom, that's it. Like everything's in a little compartment in a little box. And perhaps you're like, yeah, that's what I do, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. We're going to talk to you about, you know, what this looks like. But at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily help our students. Think about it. They can't learn a concept one time and always be expected to master it just that one time. Like, that's it. We can't give them just that. They need the consistent practice. So it's like if you're an athlete or you're a basketball player, right? And you practice dribbling for a month. And it's like dribbling is all you do in the month of October. And that's it. You're going to get really good at dribbling for that month. But if you don't practice dribbling the next month and all you're doing is practicing your jump shot, you're going to get really good at your jump shot for that month but you're going to forget everything or at least most of what you learned about dribbling. I don't know about you, but if you played basketball, like I haven't practiced dribbling with my left hand in probably 20 years. I, it's like, I can't, I don't know how to dribble, but I played at a very competitive, competitive level, but because I stopped practicing, I'm just not good at it anymore. Right? So if your students are not coming back to those particular standards, like that particular writing style time and time again, you're really missing out on that ability to cover more content with your students in less time. And going back to Jessica's point at the very beginning, number one with bell ringers, like that's where we really utilize a lot of that spiral review with our students. So be thinking about like, okay, how can I use the bell ringers to intentionally spiral content? Right. If I'm teaching narrative writing in my unit at the beginning of the year, well, I can use my narrative writing bell ringers, 
you know, in the month of November, in the month of January, et cetera, whatever, um, so that, you know, you're able to really spiral review these concepts. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's so key to understanding all of this. Like hopefully you're seeing the connections between all four of these four tips, right? By spiraling your curriculum, you're accounting for that when you batch plan because you're able to look at the next few months and say, okay, I'm not just going to teach narrative writing one time. Instead, I'm going to do my three-week unit at the beginning of the year. And then a month later, I'm going to schedule in a one or two day refresher lesson or even a one period refresher lesson because I want my students to continue practicing like leads this day, endings that day, and maybe a mini narrative two months after that. So it's all coming together when you spiral in the entire year. So I'm so glad you brought that up with the bell ringers because that's an easy way to spiral. Yes, absolutely. And it's when you combine all four of these strategies that we shared today that you really start to fit everything into your class periods, whether they're 43 minutes or 75 minutes long. And like I said at the beginning, RPD in June is going to go even more in depth into these. Like We're going to show you examples of different class period lengths and things like that. So if you go to ebacademics.com forward slash engagement, you can sign up for that for free with us. Um, But it's when you combine all four of these strategies also that you start to feel confident. You start to feel in control of your teaching, right? And when you combine all four of these strategies, you stop sacrificing your sanity. You actually enjoy teaching again, right? You have your nights back. You have your weekends back. You become just a better teacher, a better person, a better mom, a better partner, a better whatever, right? So to recap, when all is said and done, the four strategies, you want to use intentional bell ringers to start your class period. Let the standards be your guide. It's almost like let it be easy because the standards just tell you everything you need to do, right? Batch plan and then spiral your curriculum. So hopefully you guys found that helpful today. And next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about transforming your teaching and supercharging student learning and curriculum organization is the key to being able to do that. So that's exciting to talk about another thing that like builds on this, right? And we're doing all of this intentionally so that it's setting you guys all up for success uh, for next year. So thank you so much for joining us today. And the bo- it's actually a bonus episode, isn't it? It's not airing next Tuesday. It's airing, I believe on Thursday. Yeah. You don't even have to wait a whole week. The next episode's coming out in two days. I love it. (laughs) All right, you guys, we'll see you in two days on the podcast. Bye everyone. Bye everyone.